welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This weekend, worship is all about being thankful and how even the rocks and the trees cry out in thanks to God. Let's listen. Well, Thanksgiving is coming up, and you're going to hear this question a lot this week. What are you thankful for? And most of us can think of hopefully a long list of things, but there are some times in life where it's just harder, isn't it? Harder to find things to be thankful for. So I'm coming to you today with one thing that I know all of us in this room can be thankful for. It is something that no matter what's going on in your life, you can still say, oh, I'm thankful for that. So a little context, my family and I were in Tampa this last week on vacation, and I stumbled across something that I thought, wow, the world needed this. I took a picture of it. It is a cupcake vending machine. <laughs> I mean, honestly, how could you not be thankful for a machine that will give you a cupcake no matter what time of day it is? I mean, no matter if this store, the storefront is open or closed, if I'm in the mood at 3 a.m. for a cupcake, I know where to go. Okay, this is probably not the best example of something that all of us can be thankful for. But in our study of the scriptures today, I really believe that everyone in this room will be able to find something of which that they are deeply thankful for. Our study is in the Old Testament. It's the book of Chronicles, and it's a story of King David. So here's the context for you. King David has just declared Jerusalem to be the capital city for the first time in history. Now, his first act after naming it capital uh, is to bring in the Ark of the Covenant into the city. Now, if you're a little bit hazy or going, oh, wait, what? I got to remember, what is the Ark of the Covenant? That's okay. I'm going to remind you here. Um, so for that reminder, we turn to the ever-reliable Indiana Jones. <laughs> Let's show the clip. Any questions? <laughs> All right, that doesn't explain everything, but I thought it would be good to get a visual of what we think it may have looked like. But the Ark of the Covenant in the time of the Old Testament for the people of Israel was supposed to symbolize in a tangible form God's presence. When the Israelites, they, they traveled all around. You know, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And so before they were churches or, or temples or places of worship to go to for God's presence, they still needed something tangible. And so they would carry around the Ark of the Covenant with them as a sign of God's presence. And not only that, but the Ark contained the actual tablets of the Ten Commandments. So housed inside the Ark were the Ten Commandments. When you think of the Ark, I hope you think it symbolizes God's presence, and it housed the Ten Commandments. So the first thing David wants to do when he creates Jerusalem as their capital 
is to bring in God's presence, to bring in the Ark of the Covenant. And to that end, he plans a celebration. He plans this worship service with 60 priests that get the whole city engaged in this processional of bringing in the Ark to the capital city. And what is so neat is that we still have the words that he used in our Bible today. We have the exact words that they said as they ushered in God's presence to Jerusalem so many thousands of years to go. And so those words are going to be the ones that we study today. And I'm sure that you'll be able to find something in these words for which you particularly are very thankful. So here's how King David begins. He says, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Well, so the first thing I want you to notice about the way that David begins this celebration is it's a little bit like a to-do list, isn't it? And notice how many action-oriented verbs there are up there. I counted five. Give, proclaim, make known, sing, and tell. So what King David is saying is that welcoming God's presence is not a passive act. No, welcoming God's presence should be active. And the same is true for us today, right here in this place. Uh, When you come to church, it can feel passive sometimes, can't it? Or when you watch online, it can feel passive. But David encourages us to take an active role in welcoming God's presence into our hearts when we come into worship. Uh, Let's take singing for an example. When we sing, we are singing praises to God. We're not just reading words on a screen, but we are praising our Creator. And the words of the songs help tell the stories of God's wonderful acts, both now and throughout history. Do you see the difference that King David is sharing with us about passive worship and active worship? The same is true for when you listen to a sermon, as you are right now. A a passive way to listen to the sermon might be to allow your mind to to wander towards the rest of the day's activities or to-do lists. Or perhaps you'll idly wonder whether the the Panthers are going to ruin their chances at a number one draft pick by winning too many games this season. That would be a legitimate thing to wonder about, but not during the sermon. That's not when we wonder about that. That's a passive way to engage the scriptures, or or you can actively give thanks to God in your heart for the opportunity to gather as a community of faith centered on the scriptures. You can actively engage your mind thinking through these texts and the ways that you can apply them to your life. You can truly sit here right now and listen for the Holy Spirit's guidance in your life. What God is saying to you through these texts, those little whispers or impressions on your heart. Yes, you can seek to be particularly attuned to those. That would be an active way 
to worship. So King David is saying, worship is never passive. It's always active. Now that can be hard for us here in person. I think it's even harder for those who are watching online today. I love the technology that allows that to be possible, but I also know you probably have a lot more distractions in front of you right now, don't you? Uh, Maybe you're washing the dishes, or the kids are running around, or you're driving. This is another example for all of us to say, hey, whether we're here or there, how can we be active in our worship of God this morning? Give, proclaim, make known, sing, tell. Well, the procession that we're imagining As they walk into Jerusalem, it continues with these words. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Israel, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. Well, we have more action verbs to add to our list, don't we? I counted three. Look, seek, and remember. Oh, and actually, let's add a fourth. Glory. Now, I know that sounds a little bit different, doesn't it? Because glory, we usually think of as a noun. It is something you give to God, like all glory and Praise and honor be to God, right? In that sentence, glory is a noun. But here, in this verse and in the Hebrew text, uh, glory is actually a verb. Now, the verb glory means to shine. So the image is of a light that is shining or flashing in the darkness. What I'd like you to do is, is imagine a very dark room and you're holding up a candle. And what is the light doing? Is it staying right here? No, it's shining out, isn't it? And that is what our glory does. That is what our worship does. It doesn't stay self-contained within us. It shines out of us. That's what this word is trying to get us to think. When we say glory to God, Our worship, we're saying, doesn't just stay with us, in us, but it shines out of us in the way that we live our lives, the way we have conversations with one another. Yes, our glory is not self-contained. Our worship doesn't just stay with us as individuals. And so my prayer for you is that you worship in such a way that other people notice that. I mean, really, to be a Christian— is to stand out because we know who we worship. And that changes, I think, everything about the way that we live and the way that we approach this life. So with this processional so far, what have we learned? We've learned that worship is active. And we've learned that our worship should shine out of our lives. Okay, we're going to skip ahead a little bit because it's a long processional. But I encourage you, sometime this week, find some time to read this whole chapter. Again, it's the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles, chapter 16. You'll be glad you did. It is a beautiful chapter of Scripture.
But we're going to jump ahead towards the end to see what King David has to say. And where he goes next is to tell us that worship is not something that only humans as individuals do, but actually it's happening on a much broader scale. Here are his words. He said, let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. So praising God is not something that only humans participate in. The whole world, all of creation, joins in. Now, some may say, oh, that's just King David being poetic. I mean, the trees of the forest don't really sing, do they? To which I would say, maybe. Or, or maybe every time the waves crash against the rocks, you and I might hear a crash, but maybe God hears worship. Every time the wind whistles through the branches of trees, maybe we don't hear anything other than the wind, but God hears the trees singing and rejoicing to him. I mean, maybe there is an undercurrent of worship that is happening in our world that our ears are not attuned to hear. I find it neat to imagine the whole earth praising God because it reminds me how often I'm not. I mean, I could be driving down 16, radio turned up, my mind on a million other things, completely oblivious to the whole world around me praising God. That draws me then, as a part of creation, that draws me back into worship. It makes me want to participate in that creation chorus that's happening all around us. It reminds me that God made all of this. And the only proper response to that is to worship. So I say, yes, let the seas resound and all that is in them. Let the fields rejoice, and all that is in them. Let us all sing for joy before the Lord, and yes, you are included in that. So how does King David end this worshipful celebration? I mean, if you're imagining this scene, they have carried the Ark of the Covenant, and they're now on the precipice of entering through the gates of Jerusalem. And what are they saying as they enter? Here is how this concludes, this scripture. He says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, God our Savior. Gather and deliver us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name, and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. So we end the worshipful celebration by giving thanks. Yes, giving thanks is the proper response to all that God has done for us. We give thanks 
because he is good. And God's love endures forever. Makes me wonder, how many times do we say thank you without really taking the time to feel thankful? Uh, Many studies have been done to show the positive effects that gratitude has on a person's life. Uh, Intentionally practicing gratitude and, and intentionally being a person who is thankful for things around you will actually change your brain chemistry. It will make you be, over the long term, a more thankful person. And and so I look at those studies, and then I see the texts today that we've just studied. And I put those together, and I say, well, as Christians, we should be the most thankful people in the world. I mean, our set posture through life should be one of thankfulness, because you and I always have something to be thankful for. And no, it's not the cupcake vending machine, although I still am thankful for that. It's for the love of God. That is something that is universal. That no matter if you're going through a time of life where it's hard to be thankful for, that is still something that draws us together and allows us to be thankful. So, this week, you're going to have many opportunities to think about thankfulness. And and Thanksgiving, it's a wonderful time, a time of traditions, celebrations of being with family. But I also recognize that it can be a painful time for some, those who have recently lost a loved one, or those who are estranged from family. But even so, no matter what is happening in your life, this is a good opportunity for us to practice thankfulness because of God and God's presence in our lives and the love of God leading us through this life. So I'll I'll start. Unity, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that we are a community of worship that come together to praise and honor and give glory to God week in and week out. It is a deep privilege to be a part of this worshiping community. And I'm thankful for God, for he is good, and his love endures forever. And so may the praise of the Lord in my life and in yours be from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.com. or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.